to this video. I know just in that last song I did because I messed it up. But see if you can relate to this video. Can you relate? <laughs> now, that is a hilarious way. How many of you have ever been in a church where you start a message like that? I mean, come on, you got to admit it's kind of crazy. But truly, that illustrates something that I think is kind of funny in that way, but not funny in life, right? Because we, we sometimes hit life and we're going through and we're singing and we're like, I will survive, right? Maybe we don't sing it like the alien. Maybe I don't dance quite as well as the alien, right? But we're going through life. Life's good. And then splat, right? Blindside. So the reason we brought that up is because today we're continuing our tandem series. But what we're going to talk about today is, I'll be honest with you, difficult. Today we talk about when you get thrown off the bike. When life throws you to the ground when you get blindsided. And to be honest, this is not one of those messages that we want to listen to and hear, but one that is so powerful and so necessary. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to get into, you're going to hear three stories, basically. I'm going to tell you a story from God's Word, from the Bible, that uh, are three people that, that really got blindsided, that they got thrown off the bike in a real powerful, real intense way. Then you're going to hear a personal story from a Northridger, like you guys, somebody from our church that's been a part of our church for quite a long time, and she's going to share a time, actually several times, when she got thrown off the bike. And then you're going to hear just a little snippet at the very, very end of the, the service, right before our last song. We're going to introduce a new song to you guys, great song. And you're going to hear the two writers of that song tell their story behind the song, why they wrote it, and how they struggled with it when they wrote it. So you know where we're going. How many of you are excited you got out of bed now? <laughs> but it is an important thing because we need to talk about what happens to us when we get thrown off the bike. So let me get to the Bible story first. Let me set up the context. So the context is it takes place in the Babylonian Empire. All right. Uh, the leader of the Babylonian Empire is King Nebuchadnezzar. We actually have a statue of him. This is, this is, he's a real king, real guy. You can look him up. He's a real dude in history, right? Led and was the king over the Babylonian Empire. Okay. So that's the setting. The Hebrews are in the Babylonian Empire. The reason they're there is because Israel has been conquered by the Babylonians and they carried a good portion of them, the best of them, into captivity into the Babylonian Empire. 
Okay, so the reason that's important is because there's these four guys. There's this guy named Daniel. You guys have heard of Daniel in the lion's den, right? Same guy, Daniel, is second in command underneath the king. Okay, so it's the king, then it's this Hebrew, this Israelite, Daniel, which is a miracle in and of itself. And when Daniel gets this second in command position, he gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Great names. If you guys are getting ready to have a baby, I just gave you three options. So don't say I never gave you anything. There it is, all right? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are appointed right under Daniel. So it's King Daniel, who's an Israelite, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are also Israelites. They're Hebrews, okay? So there's King Daniel, these three guys, okay? So everything's good. They have great jobs. They have power. They have prestige. They have wealth. Life is awesome, if I were to put it, I would say it's like an alien singing on the dance floor, right? Life is great. Until it wasn't. Because all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar, he decides that he's going to build this massive golden statue. And he puts it out on the plain of Dura, all right? Which is the main place right outside the capital city of Babylon, okay? And he puts his statue out there and he says, he passes a law that says whenever this certain type of music is played with these certain instruments, whenever you hear that music, you, everybody in within earshot of that has to bow down and worship this golden statue that I've built. That's the law, okay? And so he builds a statue, you know, all the music, all that kind of stuff. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are like the king's top officials. King, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Right? So they serve the king directly. Yes, everybody's under the king, but they serve him. They work for him. And so now, fast forward, the statue's built, the music starts playing. The problem is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have an issue, don't they? They know they can't bow to this statue. The reason is because there's a couple of commandments. You guys have heard of the Ten Commandments? Let me read the first two from Exodus chapter 20. Let me just read them to you. It says this. You must not have any other God but me. That's an issue right there for them. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. That applies. It's statue. You must not bow down to them or worship them. Hmm, interesting, same language. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have an issue. They know because they serve the one true God, they cannot bow. And yet the king passes this law that requires everyone, including his top officials, especially his top officials, to do this when the music is played. Oh, and by the way, attached to the law is this little punishment that if you don't, you're going to be thrown into a furnace. Okay? So they know what the stakes are. They know what the stakes are. And so the music plays, the statue's there, and everybody bows down except for these three guys standing in the middle of everybody. Talk about standing around like a sore thumb, right? If you have to get up in church like you have to go to the bathroom, everybody feels like, uh, right? You try to slink and crawl, but you can't do that. That would look even more weird, right? Well, imagine that everybody's bowing with their faces to the ground, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing there looking around. It's intense. Somebody calls him out, tells the king. King is furious. These are his top officials. Like if anybody's going to follow his order, it should be his top officials. So he brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in front of himself. And he says, listen, 
I don't know what your problem is. I don't know if you didn't hear the music. I don't know what's going on. This is your last chance. Bow. Now, on your knees. All right? And I want to read for you what their response to the king is. One of the most powerful moments in all of Scripture. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If you are, or if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Kaboom! Right? They just said this to the king. I, I hope you understand. This is not like a good friend. This is not like, hey, I need to confront this. This is the king who can do whatever he wants to them. And they just said, uh, so Nebuchadnezzar, and they were respectful about it. They said, your majesty, twice. <laughs> They're probably trying to help themselves. Right? Oh, great, wonderful king. Sorry, we're not going to bow. <laughs> and so they stand there and, 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 they, and they defy his order because they know they serve the one true God. So the first point that I want to make to you this morning is, the first challenge that I put before you is, when you get blindsided, when you get thrown off the bike, well, I don't know about you, but my tendency is I get angry. Sometimes I get angry at God. Sometimes I get angry at somebody else. I get bitter. I don't know about you, but I do not like bad stuff in my life. I'm guessing you don't either. You don't be like, yeah, bring it on. It's making me tougher. We don't, know. that's not a reaction. That's not normal, right? And so the first response that we have is, is to let a lot of stuff in and to get really ticked at God. I know sometimes I am. And it's okay to not be okay. Let me just tell you that. But the first point is this. When you get blindsided, when you get thrown off the bike, don't bow. Don't bow. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't cave to bitterness. Don't cave to anger. Don't cave to frustration, to worry, to fear. Sometimes we get thrown off the bike. We're scared, aren't we? When we lose somebody in our life that was our rock, we get scared. And I would just encourage you, don't bow. Now listen, I'm not saying, as I, I just said, it's okay to not be okay. In, in fact, it's okay to be angry with God. Just don't let it push you away from God. You hear what I'm saying? Don't, you can be angry with God. I've been angry with God many times. If you read the Bible, a lot of the portions of Scripture are people angry at God. But I want you to notice where they end up. They end up on the other side of that. Even though they're angry, they realize their trust still needs to be in. So don't bow to this world. Don't bow to the enemy who will try to use this against you and destroy you. Because getting thrown off the bike hurts and we don't want it. But it doesn't have to destroy you. It doesn't have to destroy you. So don't bow. Now, let's go back to the story. So what happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? A lot of you have heard this story. Some of you maybe have never heard this story. So let's go back and read it. This is the very next verse after they say, Hey, King Neb, we're not going to bow. All right? Sorry. God will save us. Maybe he won't. Even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. 
Okay? This is the very next thing that happens. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Have you ever seen somebody so mad that their face changes? That's what happened with King Neb. Okay? He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments, fully clothed. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. Can you imagine that? The fire was so hot that it killed the people who were trying to get them in the furnace. I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were probably struggling a bit. Right? And so it kills the soldiers. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, Look. Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Notice he changed his tune all of a sudden. Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. They were spared. This brings up the second key point. The first one is don't bow. Don't allow the pain and the hurt and the fear and the disaster push you further away from God. I pray and I hope that you will ha allow it to draw you closer to God because that's who you need. That's who we all need. But the second point is this, and it's also very important. No matter whether you're still on the bike and life is going good or you're getting ready to be thrown off the bike or maybe some of you, in fact, I, I noticed a couple of you, I had a conversation with a couple of you, you've just been thrown off the bike this week. I need you to know something even though you do not feel it and you're not even necessarily going to believe it when I tell you right now. And that is that God is always with you. He's in the fire with you. It may not feel like it. In fact, it probably doesn't. But God is there. He's with you. He's always been there and he always will be. Guiding, directing, ready to help. And so today, as you hear this story, I don't know about you, but this is Old Testament, blazing furnace, hard to relate this to our time today. Right? Difficult. We can kind of get a little bit of it, but difficult to relate to what we're going through today. So in order to really bring that relevance out, I want you to hear this personal story. So uh, Amy Nolan, if you would go ahead and come on up, give her a hand for being willing to share. So Amy, uh, I'll, and I'll just tell you something real quick. And I, 
I think she knew I was going to say this. Um, when I talked to her originally about sharing her story today, she called back to let me know that she would do it, and she said, I have been coming up with every possible solution how not to do this. This is, this is difficult. This is difficult. And it's not easy to get in front of people, and it's not easy to share, but I'm, I, Amy, I appreciate you being willing to do it because uh, it's not easy. So uh, Amy is one of those that has a story about being thrown off the bike. And so we're going to hear a little bit about that. And I'm going to ask a lot more questions than normal because there's a lot of pieces to this, right? Yes. <laughs> a lot of pieces. Um, so let me give you a quick background. Um, Amy grew up uh, going to Catholic school. Um, but uh, based on her own admission, uh, she would say she really didn't have a relationship with God or with Christ at that point. Uh, even though she was attached to Catholic school, it was just kind of a routine, something that she did. Uh, and then as far as her background, family, all kind of stuff, her parents were divorced, and uh, your dad was an alcoholic and was pretty much absent. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. So, Amy, with that kind of as the background, ju we're jumping right into high school, okay? Tell us a little bit about what you were looking for when you were in high school, when you were a teenager in high school in that, that time. Tell us... What were you looking for? What was, what was love to you? you know, what, what were you searching for? Well, that's what I was searching for was love and acceptance. Um, and like you said, I didn't have a relationship with God. I didn't have a relationship with my father. So I was searching for that companionship. Um, that's what I wanted most. Hmm. Hmm. So fast forward, still in high school, and you're searching for kind of this love, but you're not sure what it looks like, right? Uh, but then you think you find it. Yeah. Uh, and, and tell us about that. Yeah, so when I was 16, I met Scott, and um, it was amazing. I mean, we had such a great time together. Um, it was fun, and I looked forward to being with him. Um, he would call me all the time. He wanted to be with me too, so mm. it was it was nice. Thought you had something really good, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, so take us to. I mean, things seem to be going pretty good. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but when was that first time when you noticed something happened? I know that you shared with me um, that you knew something was not right. Yeah. So. Um, Scott and I were in his car driving through a development, um, going to his place, and on our way there, we saw another car, obviously, and I knew the person that was inside of that car It was a childhood friend that I hadn't seen for a very long time, and I was really excited. I saw him, and I waved to him, and it was almost instantly that his face changed. So when you brought that story up, his mm. face changed and he was angry um, because I had waved at this other person. Um, so that was the first time that Scott hit me. Mm. He backhanded me in the car that, at that moment. Mm. So Amy, obviously everything changes at that moment, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly something's wrong. Tell us what your feelings were. Like, I'm sure that there was a mixture, right? Mm -hmm. But 
what were you feeling at that moment? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I was, I was in complete shock. I was like, why would he do this after all this time of, you know, having so much fun together and him telling me that he loved me? Why would he do this to me? Um, is this what love looks like to him? Mm. Um, and I even thought to myself, you know, does he love me that much that he would do something like this? Mm. Mm. It's, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, you, you get in those moments and, and our mind makes things happen, right? That, that whole idea of don't bow, you know, um, and it's just... Uh, and and then we kind of cave into kind of what we're thinking. So uh, and Amy put that. Oh, yeah, sure. we want we want to hear. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, what, what you have to say? No, you're good. You're doing you're doing awesome. Um, so uh, so let's fast forward again. So that happened, but you felt like because oh he must really love me. Kind of you're rationalizing this a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you stay with Scott, right? So take us toward uh, the end of high school, graduate high school, but now you're, you're pregnant, um, I think uh, three months in, maybe yeah. pregnancy, yeah. Uh, with your first, Tyler. Yeah. Um, so tell us, tell us what happened and how things progressed from there, because that was not the first, uh, I mean, that was the first time, but that was not the last time, and, and it progressed from there. Kind of tell us what happened. Yeah, it did. It, it kept getting worse. Um, For example, after I graduated from high school, um, Scott and I moved in together. And, um, you know, being pregnant with Tyler, I thought things would get better, and they just never did. Um, For instance, one day we got in an argument, and um, I was still pregnant, and Scott actually, he got so angry with me that he hit me in the stomach purposely. And I was just, um, this one, this part's really hard, but um, I knew that obviously I wanted to leave, and that's what I told him. I was ready. I was, I I wanted to get out of that situation. I didn't want to bring Tyler into that. Um, And he obviously he told me that he was going to commit suicide if I left. Um, it got to a point where that day, even that he put a, a ladder by the tree at the house that we were living and hung a noose around the tree. Um, and he was on the ladder ready to put his neck in, into the noose. So, mm. I mean, he manipulated me to the point where mm. I felt like I had to stay. Like, it was going to be my fault if he mm. did this. Mm. Mm. So, fast forward again, okay? So, that you can see where the level progressed, right? I mean, to the manipulation and the, and the intensity. Um, so... Now, so Tyler's born, but now you're pregnant a second time, not by what you wanted, because you were trying to take steps not to have this happen, right? Yes. Um, but, and, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but Dylan, um, you're, you're pregnant with Dylan, and the second one comes along. So, so take us to that point, um, and, and just tell us a little bit about the fear. Um, that I, I just, it's hard for, hard for me to just imagine it, but... Tell us about the fear that you lived with. Yeah, so like 
you said I was trying to not become pregnant again to bring another child into the situation that I was in, but because of medical reasons, um, I had to stop doing that. And instantly, I mean, it was like within two weeks, I was pregnant with Dylan, and I was devastated. I just didn't understand why I was at that point in my life again where I was pregnant. Um, hmm. And I was scared. I was hmm. really scared. Hmm. Hmm. So um, just to kind of take a step back for a second, Amy, what, just talk about what support did you have? Did you have support? Like why? Because I think, if mm -hmm. we, and we didn't really talk about this, mm -hmm. but I'm sure a lot of times people kind of hear this story and they're like, why didn't you just get out anyway, right? And what, like, what support did you have? Did you have any support? What was going on? What, you know, what was, what was happening? Well, I mean, not a lot of people knew what was going on. You hide it. Hmm. Um, so really nobody knew. But it did get to a point where, you know, he was acting very aggressive in front of people. And nobody wanted to be around that. At the time... Um, you know, it was kind of hidden. People didn't talk about it as much. Mm. So I felt like I was alone. Mm. Mm. Okay, so again, let's fast forward. Take us to the day. Um, so you have two kids, right? Two kids yes. now. Mm -hmm. um, take us to the day when you became really literally a prisoner inside your own home. Yeah. Take us to that day. What happened? And what did that just demonstrate to your mind? What clicked at that point mm -hmm. when that happened? Yeah, so Scott was actually working out of town at this time. And that morning, I went Christmas shopping um, for the kids. And I was gone for most of the morning. Mm -hmm. um, and at that time, we didn't have cell phones. So, I mean, Scott could not get a hold of me. I wasn't at home. Um, and he... I think probably tried calling a lot of people to see where I was at. And um, he actually drove two hours home. And by the time I got home and we were all there, he was, again, so angry that he took my keys and I, I wanted to call somebody, but he wouldn't allow it. So he pulled all the phones out of the wall. Um, and that entire day of not being able to leave, he was getting angrier as the day progressed. Mm. Um, there was mental and physical abuse all day long in front of the kids. Um, mm. And it got to a point where I knew I had to get out of that house somehow. Um, and at the very end of the day, like I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how much farther he was going to take the abuse once the kids went to bed. So I remember being in Tyler's room, and mm. I was like flipping on and off the switch in the bedroom, hoping that somebody would see it outside. Mm. And like, I mean, I was doing everything that I could because Scott was running up and down the stairs. He was putting holes in the walls. Um, and I was locked in Tyler's room so that I could get him to bed. Hmm. And just seeing the fear in his eyes when he was awake was enough to put a mom 
<laughs> over the edge. So um, I knew, like I said, I had to get out of that house. Mm. So once Tyler fell asleep, um, I, I, and Scott ran downstairs, I snuck out of the house. I tried to be as quiet as I could, opening the front door so he wouldn't hear me. And I went across the street to somebody that I actually knew that lived across the street, and she wasn't home. So Scott's mom actually lived five houses from us, and I went to her, and I said, you know, Scott is really scaring me. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's capable of tonight. I need to call the police. And she looked at me and said, you will not call the police on my son. Hmm. So I went to a different house. I didn't know who these people were, and they allowed me to call the police. Hmm. By the time I got back to the house, he and his mom were so good at manipulation that the police believed that I was the one who was going crazy in the house, Mm -hmm. that I was the one who tore out all of the phone cords from the wall, that I put the holes in the ceiling. It was all me. They turned it around to Mm -hmm. me. Mm. And I was like, this is not happening. And the police said if I called back that night that they would take my kids from me. So at this point, things have clicked. Like, you know, okay, this could have been it for us. I mean, you don't know, mm-hmm. but this, this was bad. Yeah. And so uh, the next day, you get out, right? You, you, you escape. You, you, I mean, he's gone. You, you pack your things up, and you guys, you guys get out of there. And you go to live with your dad yeah. just in the meantime because you, you need somewhere to go, right? Yeah. Um, so you go there. Um, so then uh, things kind of settled down a little bit. You've escaped this situation, the mm-hmm. immediate situation, which is being in the house and, and relationship with him on yeah. a daily basis. But things aren't obviously fully resolved yet. Um, so a couple of weeks in, then some friends invite you over for, uh, for dinner, basically yeah. a barbecue or a cookout yeah. or something, and, and kind of take us to that night and when really everything, you get, were really thrown off the bike. Yeah, so... Um, I had just gotten home from work. I was with the kids. I'm living with my dad at this time. And friends had called me, said, hey, why don't you come over? And it was kind of late, and I was trying to get the bed, the kids to bed. Um, Dylan was already sleeping, and Tyler was on his way to bed. And they are like, well, you know, get the kids to bed, and why don't you just come over um, and have a night out with us and enjoy some company and I really I needed that at the time so um, I had asked my dad if he could watch the kids while I went over there and during that time Dylan woke up like for no reason he was my sleeper Um, so I called them back and said I'm not going to be able to make it because Dylan just woke up and my dad's doing his taxes So, you know, I'm kind of stuck. And I remember Chelsea saying to me, she just said, bring Dylan with you. And I was like, well, okay, I can do that. So I did. I went over to the barbecue um, at my friend's house. And as the night progressed, we were just sitting there having fun. 
Um, Dylan was just learning how to walk, and at one point during the night when people started leaving, um, Dylan was walking around the coffee table, and literally seconds before Scott barged in the door, I, Dylan was in my hands. He was holding a gun to my head and told me, and he was trying to rip Dylan from my arms, and he told me that, I told you if I can't have you, nobody will ever have you. And I think seeing Dylan shocked him a little bit. He, he wasn't expecting Dylan to be there. Hmm. Um, so he just started shooting ram- randomly throughout the house. And, yeah, I, hmm. I just I remember it, obviously, like it was yesterday. Just hmm. the gunshots didn't seem real, though, hmm. if that makes any sense. Um, hmm. And I was just in shock and... Hmm. And what, Amy, when we were talking about this, something that I had not put together from your story at all was, remember, she was trying to not get pregnant second time. And then Dylan wakes up the night that this happened. And the fact that you had Dylan in your arms is, you know now, was providential. And it's why you're able to sit here today. It is. It's why I'm here. <laughs> and God knew that. God was in the fire. And we that was not something that I was even prepared for. Um, and Amy brought that out um, when we were talking about this. And so I appreciate you being willing to share that. So, so take us, we're still mm-hmm. in that night, right? Scott has fired this gun all over the place in the whole house. You're still holding Dylan. Mm-hmm. You've got other people around. Everything's in chaos. Scott runs out. Mm-hmm. You don't know where he's at. So he's gone, but everybody's in chaos mode. Tell me what happened at that point, what you, what you realized. So I got up from the couch and walked around the coffee table, and I saw my friend lying on the floor. Um, he had been shot in the back of the head. Yeah. And he's still dealing with that today. He is. Yeah. Okay, Amy, so I'll just kind of connect these dots real quick. There was a trial, okay? Mm -hmm. After all this, obviously, they they caught up to Scott. Uh, They put him on trial. There was a plea bargain, right? Um, And he got 45 years uh, in prison Mm -hmm. for this particular event and some of the other things, Um, but mainly this event. Um, So now let's turn the corner. Right, because we've been kind of hammering on. You got thrown off the bike repeatedly. Yeah. Okay, that's been obvious. So now take us to this point. Scott is now in prison. You're a single parent, two kids. What's your reality now? Mm-hmm. What does your life look like now? And then tell us what that was. But then get us to that point where things began to turn around, began mm-hmm. to change. Yeah. So moved to Madison. Got out of Nebraska and moved here with my two kids. Had nothing, um, but quickly found a job. Started college. I rejoined the National Guard. So I was very busy. I kept myself really busy. Um, And I was still in charge. I didn't let 
God take over at this point. He was still there, but I was at the front of the bike still trying to navigate my own life. Mm. Um, and things were still not going well for me, um, understandably so, after everything that we'd been through. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I was. When I came here, I was still in charge, still doing things that I shouldn't be doing, looking for love, um, looking for that acceptance. Mm. And like I said, things weren't going well, so I started to pray. <laughs> so that's, by the way, when you're stuck in that moment <laughs> where you don't know what to do, that, and Amy, you would say, I didn't even know that that's what I was supposed to do, really. Mm-hmm. But that's what you did. Again, God leading and saying, hey, let me take the front of the bike, yeah. right? Okay, so you prayed. I did. I prayed. I, I was just asking for him to bring somebody into my life that would accept me and my kids mm-hmm. unconditionally. Hmm. So take us, take us to that then. Kind of uh, start connecting the dots to that. Um, you prayed that, that God would bring somebody into your life, that somebody that would genuinely love you, mm-hmm. not like that, all that yeah. you've experienced, and not what you're even looking for, right? but somebody that genuinely, truly will love you for who you are and who God made you to be. Yeah. So you prayed for that, even though did. you didn't use those words, <laughs> but that's what you're looking for. So that was good, and you start going to church and your relationship with Christ. So, so those things changed. Tell us now um, what happened? Like, what was the reality then? How did God answer that prayer? Yeah, he answered it. Um, that's when I met Mike and Mm. he came into our lives and accepted me for exactly who I was with everything that came with me. Mm. Um, he accepted my children into his life as well. It was Mm. an instant family for him. Mm. Mm. Um, and here we are. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's quite amazing now how God has really shown up in my life um, and how I've let go of that control mm. and let him start guiding the bike. Mm. You know, because of him, Mike and I have a really good relationship. Um, we still have things to work on, yes, but he is in control. We could have taken many paths, hmm. Mike and I, um, but we're allowing allowing God to hmm. to lead us and to lead our family. Hmm. Um, so, because of God, I mean, I have been able to ask for forgiveness. Hmm. I have been able to forgive. Hmm. Um, just everything in my life right now is going so well that, you know, and I know I have God to thank for that. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that with Mike and with Amy, we've talked about this a lot with them, but some of the decisions, even recently, to be honest, I mean, even in the last couple of years, things that they've decided to do has been clearly leading of God, and they've centered their marriage and their life and their family, not perfectly, Mm -hmm. neither have I, Mm -hmm. um, but centered it on God. Um, and so, uh, Amy, is there, is there any one last thing that you would like to say, um, just how Christ, how Jesus has changed your life, anything that you've kind of, if you say, eh, I left this unsaid, what would you say now that this is your experience and how you know God has been in the fire with you? Yeah. Clearly, you can see it now. At the mm-hmm. time, it was hard to see it, right? Yep. 
So what would you say now, how, how Christ has changed you? Yeah, well, he's, I'm, I'm sitting here right now, I'm talking to all of you, and mm. this made me sick to my stomach all week. <laughs> so I ruined her week is what she's saying, <laughs> like literally blew up her week. Yeah, I was sick to my stomach, but I have surrendered to him. I am letting him guide me now. Um, telling me what to do. And I don't want to be up here. I don't want to be talking. I, this is like not my forte at all. And yet here I am because I know that he has a plan for me. Um, and I know he can help change people's lives. Mm. And just so you guys know, Amy is going to be taking steps and we're going to be helping her because her story has the power to truly transform and change some lives and help a lot of people because she knows what a lot of people are going through. And by the way, they're going through that secretly. There are probably people in our church that are going through this secretly. I asked her, remember this? This is, this is way off script. But I asked Amy, I said, would you have come to me if you would have known me or, or Pastor Chris or Laura, you know, and just outed yourself in the midst of all that? No way. You said, no way. No, and it's funny because when you called me and I saw your name come up on my phone, I knew exactly what you were calling me about. I think I do that to people. <laughs> I have an effect. I'm not sure if it's a good one. <laughs> no, she, she did admit that right away when we, when we started talking about this. Um, Amy, I just want to say thank you for being willing to share because I know that was not truly, we've joked about it a little bit, but it was not easy. Um, It's never easy to talk about. No, um, but you have a story and we all do. Let Let me just tell you this. Again, this is way off script, but let me just tell you, you have a story from God and it's unique and it's powerful. Use it for God's glory and use it to help people. Don't be scared of it. It is not going to be easy. It never will be. And by the way, don't wait for the perfect time. It's never going to, right? Today, even though this is the right time, it wasn't easy anyway, right? She cringed when she saw my name on the phone. But let me just tell you, you have been given the gifts and the things that you have for a reason. That's where we're going with this series in the next couple of weeks. You have what you have for a reason, good, bad, ugly, and otherwise. Use it for God's glory. Can we give Amy a hand for being willing to share? The truth is, guys, that we can't, it's hard for us to relate to a blazing furnace. It's an Old Testament story it's hard for us to relate to, but let me tell you something that we can relate to. We can relate to the fact of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go through. They had to deal with all the fear and the anger and the bitterness and all the stuff that goes with being thrown off their bike. And they had a choice to make. They had to choose as to whether or not they were going to trust God in the midst of that. They had to choose. Trust me, it would have been easier for them to bow. It would have been much easier for them to bow. That's the easier choice. 
but they didn't. But the truth is that we don't face a furnace. We don't usually face persecution like they did, do we? We just don't. If, you, if somebody sees you praying in the restaurant, if somebody sees that you're walking into the village center and you're ready to come to church to attend here, um, we're, you're probably not going to be persecuted, more than likely. By the way, other followers of Christ around the world, they have to deal with that on a daily basis, but we don't. But what it looks like for us to get thrown off the bike is a lot different. But we just still have to deal with the same emotions. For us, it's a diagnosis. Isn't it? It's diabetes, it's cancer. It's, we get that call that someone passed suddenly. For us, it's maybe a spouse that we thought we were supposed to be able to trust or somebody that we're in a relationship with or somebody that we're just close to, a good friend, and we find out that they are not who they were supposed to be, that they betrayed us. That's getting thrown off the bike. For some of us, it's an addiction. An addiction throws us off the bike. It's drugs, it's alcohol, it's a habit. And something that we thought was gonna give us freedom and escape I'm going to have another drink. I'm going to have several drinks. I'm going to take these pills. I'm going to do this. I'm going to shoot up with this. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to follow this. I'm going to get into this relationship. And we think it's going to give us freedom, and yet it enslaves us more, and it throws us off the bike. And it becomes a cycle. Some of us getting thrown off the bike was in our past, like Amy. It's abuse, manipulation. And some of us have never dealt with it. Some of us, we were abandoned by somebody that was supposed to be there for us. So here's what I want to do. We're going to end today by, uh, I'm going to pray in just a moment like we normally do. But then we're going to sing. Actually, you guys aren't going to sing. You're just going to hear this song. The worship team's going to do this song. So we're not going to sing like we usually do. It's a little bit different. But I'm going to pray and then we're going to hear a little tiny short video, a couple minutes, uh, from the writers of this song that we're about to do. And they're going to tell you the story behind the song, why they wrote it, and how they struggled with it. I want you to listen to that. Hear what they say. And then listen to the words of this song. But in a moment, when I pray, I want to ask you to do something. It might be a little uncomfortable for some of you. That's okay. And you may not be willing to do it today. That's okay, too. We're not going to judge you for if you do it or if you don't do it. And it's not going to be difficult. You're going to have to move out of your seat. You're not going to have to show yourself to everybody else. As we pray, eyes will be closed, heads will be down. Be respectful of that. But I'm going to pray for probably four or five specific things. Some of those things that I just mentioned. Because the truth is that many of us in here have just been thrown off the bike or are dealing with that right now. I know about some of them. I'm guessing I don't know probably all of them. Maybe a lot of them. And so when I pray for you, and I'm going to mention what I'm praying for, if this is you, maybe it deals with you specifically, maybe it's somebody in your family that just got a diagnosis, maybe it's something from your past that you've never dealt with, but if it's somebody that you know, or, some, or maybe it's for you, then I want to just invite you to 
just in your seat, as you're, as you're sitting there, I want you to open your hands and put your hands out. You don't have to touch anybody else. You don't have to let anybody else know. But as I pray, if this is for you, then I want, if you're willing to receive that prayer, I just want you to have your hands out and open. There's something about our response to God that makes it more real and powerful. Again, I'm not saying you have to do this. And I'm not saying if you're not willing that you didn't receive it. I'm just saying that I think we need to do a little bit more this morning. So as I pray for these various things, I pray that you just have your hands out. So I'm going to invite the worship band to go ahead and come on up. And as soon as I'm done praying, this video will play, and then they're going to do that song. You're just going to, we're not going to sing along with it, but you're going to hear this song. The words are very powerful. By the way, the words, the, the name of this song is called Another in the Fire. Can you guess where they got the story from? Yeah, there's a reason. So as I pray, again, just have your hands ready. And as I pray for you, if this is you or somebody that you know, just open your hands and receive it, all right? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's pray.